The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Support for this show comes from the Divine Intelligence Institute, committed to awakening the God within. Make God a presence inside that you can activate rather than a person up in the sky that you worship. Find out your spiritual IQ at divineintelligenceinstitute.com. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, this is Essential Conversations. Our guest today is Dr. Judith Orloff. A practicing psychiatrist, Dr. Orloff is on the UCLA Psychiatric Clinical Faculty and author of the New York Times bestseller, Emotional Freedom, an essay based on her most recent book, The Empath Survival Guide, Life Strategies for Sensitive People, appears in the March-April issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Dr. Judith Orloff, welcome to Essential Conversations. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm really happy to talk to you because... The whole notion of empaths is fascinating, and I'm especially interested in, I don't want to jump the gun, we'll get to it, but I'm especially interested in the mediumship empaths, and I think that will be very interesting for our listeners. But first, let's just begin with some basic definitions. You, you know, the, the subtitle of the book, Life Strategies for Sensitive People, suggests that empaths are sensitive people. But in the book itself, you say, no, it's much more than that. So tell us what, uh, how you understand or how you're using the word empath. Well, an empath is somebody who is an emotional sponge and tends to absorb the energy of the world into their own bodies. Um, And so that's why I wanted to write the book. I'm an empath myself. I'm also a psychiatrist. And what I don't want to do is absorb other people's energy, emotions, or physical symptoms. I want to stay clear and centered so that I can read people and work with people uh, and help people. Um, But I know there are many, many empaths out there that haven't identified themselves as empaths and they might be feeling exhausted or anxious or depressed and not realize that a good part of their symptoms are caused by taking on stress or negative energy from other people. And so empaths are very high up on the empathic spectrum compared to Um, narcissists or sociopaths who are very low on the empathic spectrum and have what's called an empathy deficient disorder, meaning that they don't have the usual empathy that that other people have. And um, empaths, everybody has a little empath in them. It's not just for a select group of people. It's for everybody who wants to keep their heart open in a world that's often very overwhelming. And how do you do that without burning out? Yeah, that's that's the key, I think, and that's why the book is so fascinating, or one of the reasons, uh, that, that people who are higher on the empathic scale 
I, I love your analogy. They're like a sponge. So they just take stuff in whether they want it or not. And one of the goals of the book is to help people protect themselves from unwanted absorption of energy. Yeah. Exactly. And when empaths can do that, they can then excel with all of their gifts. Um, the empowered empath, which is the name of the article in the magazine. Now, how do you be an empowered empath? With what? How is an empath empowered? They're intuitive, they're loving, they're thoughtful, they're deep, they're passionate, they're creative, they're connected to nature, they may have intuitive gifts. Um, some empaths are animal empaths who are very connected to the animal world and can commune with animals. Others are earth empaths where they have a deep connection to the earth and can feel when she is harmed or, or when she's happy. Um, and so there are all kinds of different um, forms of empathy and being an empath is such a gift and so incredible that we need all the empaths to be functional and not just hold up in their house because the life feels so overwhelming, which can happen. So how does a person know? I mean, first of all, you could, I, could, I could simply say, how does a person know she or he is an empath? But even even more than that, I mean, you're talking about the empowered empath in the magazine, which is someone who is not absorbing all this uh, energy, that they've actually got some control over their empathic abilities. But how do I know that I'm suffering from <laughs> the sponge syndrome, the sponge aspect of being an empath, as opposed to some other psychological disorder that just makes me just overwhelmed by the world, you know, just uh, agoraphobia or something like that. Well, with all those people, I would like to do a history and find out if there's an, they're an empath. Because a lot of those people who suffer from all that, you know, have at least part empath. And so they need to be, you know, dealt with as such and not just over medicated. But your question of how do you know if you're an empath? In the beginning of the empath survival guide, there's a quiz. And some of the questions include, one, have you been labeled as overly sensitive all your life? Meaning a put down. Now, do you replenish when you're alone versus with people, which is a signature of an empath, as many other people like to replenish with groups and other people, it gives them energy. So, can, you, you, can, can people make a distinction between being empathic and being uh, what Myers Briggs type indicator just calls an into uh, an, an introvert? Yeah, an introvert is somebody who likes to be quiet but doesn't have the absorptive capacity, where oh, an introvert okay. doesn't necessarily absorb your energy if you're angry or if you're depressed, but they just like to be quiet and alone uh, or a lot. And so it's a little bit different. It's more of a temperament rather than an energetic. Okay. That, that's, that's very helpful. And yes, there, there's this uh, questionnaire, are you an empath in the book? And it's very short. It's very, I don't know, it wouldn't take five minutes to fill this out. Um, and people can get a sense of uh, not necessarily where one might be on the empathic scale, but if you lean in that empathic direction. So, so this is good. This gives us a, a place to start. And you started to tell us about earth empaths and uh, animal empaths. In the book, you list uh, 10 different kinds of empaths. And in a 20-minute conversation, we can't go through all 10. <laughs> but one of them just really struck me, and that's the mediumship 
empath. And I'm just going to read what you a little bit of what you wrote here. You, you said that a mediumship empath can communicate with people, animals, and spirits on the other side. I'm assuming the other side of this life, bridging the gap between this life and the hereafter. So have you had contact with mediumship empaths? Do you know people who do that? Or do you yourself have that capacity, capability? Well, it's not as hard as you think. Um, it's not as if just a chosen few have that ability. When you're an empath, what that means is that you're open to the world. And that is a big capital O for open, <laughs> where you're able to sense and feel different things in human beings, in nature, in animals, and in the whole level of consciousness. And so from an intuitive standpoint, there is no time and space. Time is linear. It's a function of this earth plane and the linear mind. But when you look at an empath who's able to sense and have it wide open without the usual defenses or filters, it is easy to sense the other side or what goes beyond this life simply by tuning in. I mean, anyone who is sensitive or empathic can go into meditation and reach out and try and sense somebody who has passed on who they love. Sometimes those people are available. Sometimes they're not. It just depends. Not everyone is waiting with bated breath to be communicated with. But empaths have the ability to sense what's on the other side. And sometimes what you'll sense is sometimes love. You know, just the love of the person that you shared the relationship with. Or sometimes empaths can sense the, the perfume that they were wearing mm -hmm. or just something about the person will make itself known that, that they're there, you see. But in, if that's amped up a bit, you know, they could communicate and receive messages and so forth. And, and you can do this, or not necessarily you, but a, a mediumship empath can do this on behalf of other people. It's not just for herself, right? I mean, if yes, it it's can be used for healing and to help the grieving process and the letting go process and the understanding that this isn't all there is on this earth, that we go way beyond. Our spirits are huge. And this is the earth experience that our spirit is having. And empaths can experience it to a, you know, a huge degree, the depth of it. But we also leave this body and go on. And what we develop here, our spirits, they, they do continue. And so an, empath, an intuitive empath can sense that. So that's what really fascinates me because, you know, this debate, is there life after death? Does consciousness live on? You know, you're, you're making, I, I, I was going to say assumptions, but maybe that's not the right case. You're making claims anyway, because if an empath can contact, uh, and it's people and animals, which I think is really delightful, but if people can contact animals and people who have passed on, that is uh, making the claim that there is, in fact, your personality survives your, your death. So I wanted to ask you a couple questions about that. So one, I mean, it may sound a little funny, but I get so many queries about this from my Q&A column, and I don't usually respond uh, on these questions specifically, but about animals. So, you know, Pope Francis, a couple of years ago, got in hot water when he told a little boy that, whose, whose dog had just died that he would see his dog again in, he, he said, the eternity of Christ. And he said, paradise is open to all of God's creatures. So, I mean, he put it in, in his Catholic context, his Christian context, and that's fine. But 
the church went ballistic because they don't, they argue animals have no souls and that while people can go to the other side, animals do not. They lack that, that consciousness, that capacity, that soul. So can, can you, you know, give, give people who, who have lost animals, who, who would like to believe that, can you give them some hope that yes, animals too uh, survive death? Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, I mean, to me, as a matter of fact, um, animals are living, breathing teachers of unconditional love here on Earth. And when they pass, their love that they give goes with them. And so it's, you know, I don't know about any religious beliefs, but I know that, you know, when you have a belief system based on love and you can feel that love, that love is eternal. And that there are all kinds of sentient beings here on Earth with soulful qualities to them and souls other than human beings. I think it's a bit, you know, egocentric and arrogant to assume human beings are the epitome of the soulful creature. <laughs> right, right, right. I think the concern of the church and, and other religions in other ways is that, um, you know, humans need to be saved. Animals don't. Uh, but that that's a theological argument. And you're, you're not dealing with that. I mean, you're saying that that... I mean, <laughs> you're saying all good dogs go to heaven, which I think is very comforting to people. Is that true of... of, of they go to heaven. I'm saying they pass over to the other side. Okay, that's, that was my next question. Yeah, so tell us about the other side. So it's not, it's not a heaven or hell kind of thing. Um, not usually. Um, I, oh, the, the only way I'm using it in context of this book is that we here on earth who are empaths and have sensitivities, if when we have a loved one or an animal that has passed on, we had the power of our heart is so strong and the power of our intuition is so strong that we can reach beyond what we see in this earth and go beyond that to sense other things. And that the power of love is such a, a connector and you can intellectually argue about it, you know, a lot, but the feeling comes from the energy of the heart and it's through, you know, my practice is Taoism. And so, you know, I have a very strong meditation practice that's connected to nature and nature to me is filled with spirits and souls. And so it's uh, the moon has a spirit and soul, you know, as do, you know, the, the planets and the stars, it's all one big soul. And so if you look at yourself as an empath, as a gift, that you can sense the soul of the animal or the earth or the, the, the world, the universe, it's not in an egotistical way. It's just in realistically assessing our capabilities as humans when we can set our linear mind aside and just feel from the heart. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. So I, I, I think I'm following this, and, and it's, it's fascinating uh, because I, 
I'm assuming that when you say it's a fact, you're, you're claiming it's a fact because you've actually, or you know people who have had the experience. How do, how do I know? Like, like my dad passed away a couple of years ago. Uh, my mother talks to him regularly. Um, how do, how do we know? I always assume it's her love for him that is making the connection. But I don't make the assumption that he is actually somewhere communicating with her, though she says he is. So I, I'm not going to argue with my mom. But uh, your, your claim is, is that my dad actually exists in some, his personality has survived death so that he and my mom can continue a, a relationship. Is that fair? I don't know if it's personality necessarily. I think it's, I, th I think this is a big discussion and I think it involves many nuances in terms of what happens to different people. I don't think everybody goes to the same place. Oh. I don't think that, I think it's just depending on what your soul's needs are. But what I do know is that when you, you, when you want to communicate, let's say with your dad and you wanted to really feel him with your heart if you want to maybe you don't even want to i don't know but you can do it through your intuition and empaths who are this particular type of empath it's easier for them the channels are more open they don't have to make this adjustment in their mind sometimes empathic children and i have a chapter in the book on raising empathic children you know can sense intuitively all kinds of things as children that you know hopefully their parents can support them in and so it's right. easier because the veil, the veil is lifted. It's not the linear mind hasn't grown so, so solid that it's blocked out what children can feel. Yeah, well, we, we train kids out of their innate spiritual gifts, I think, um, you know, through our parenting, through education, through, through lots of, right. of different ways. We, we sort of help, help them block that out and then fill in the self-created emptiness with our own religious theory. So, so yeah, I'm, 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 I'm with you there. So, but I, I don't want to let this go because you too, too quickly, because you said something very interesting. Not everyone goes to the same place. So what are the options you think? Well, I think it depends on what you what kind of human being you are. Um, you know, there are all kinds of beliefs that they're different bardos and there's many lives that you can relive over and over and over again until the soul is refined like a diamond. And, you know, there's the, the concept of karma building up that if you, you hurt a lot of people, you hurt a person, you hurt, you know, uh, if you're, you, you leave more negative in this world than what you came in with, then there's a belief that you need to go to become a form in another life in the future that will help burn that out of you, mm. that will help you in some way. It's, it's all based on a compassionate system. But, you know, if, if you hurt people here and you end up, you know, a, a crippled beggar in the streets in a poverty-ridden city, it's not necessarily a punishment, but it is you reap what you sow kind of thing. So where you end up, I think, is based on... <laughs> What you give, I mean, the power of being a good person. You know, if you're an empath and you're compassionate with yourself and you learn to develop your skills and develop your gifts and you use them for love and service, I think that's only going to stand you in good stead when you pass over to the other side in terms of where you go. <laughs> so so I, I understand that theory. I mean, that's how karma works. 
Um, so, but then, then, then that makes me wonder about the statement you make in the book that a person is pure energy. Um, how does how does pure energy? Well, I mean, if you and I are both pure energy, how do we even make a distinction between the two of us? You know, in, in Buddhism, there is no separate soul. I mean, that was one of the Buddha's early teachings on Atman, no separate soul. And even in Hinduism and Vedanta, when you realize your true soul nature, you realize there's only one soul, and that's really Brahman, that's God. So, so that's what I thought you were talking about when you say a person is pure energy. But, but now I'm, I'm not quite sure. So how, how is, is pure energy impacted by the, the crazy things, the negative things that a, a person does, a, a personality does? How does the ego impact the soul? Huge well, question, and you've got a minute. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I think it's simple. I mean, on a certain level, it's simple. You know, it, it, our choices that we make impact our soul. But the more we move towards the heart, the more we develop a heart presence, which affects our energy and the energy that we give off. And the more heart we give off, the more we're, we're going to be able to help ourselves, others, and humanity. And so it's a question of do our choices as empaths and as, as good people lead us more towards the heart or lead us more towards fear or lead us more towards bitterness and resentment. Um, my choice and what I'm advocating in the book is to increase your sensitivities and keep moving towards the heart, but at the same time learn strategies like centering and grounding and breathing and setting boundaries and being in nature and all kinds of skills that I talk about in the article and in the book so that you can expand your heart and sensitivities without being so terrified it's going to be crushed or hurt all the time. And as a result, that sculpts your soul. And you can feel heart presence around people, people who have, you know, good people who have developed their heart. It feels warm and fuzzy and uplifting and healing and calming. It's something you intuitively feel. It's not something you think. And so by virtue of an empath developing this, they could become beautiful, beautiful people inside and out and be happy. I mean, that's the point of the book, is that I want empaths to be happy and explore these exciting realms you and I have been talking about. You know, how far can it go? How deep can you go? I love that question with empaths. You know, how it's like a playground of consciousness when you really set yourself free and you learn enough techniques to feel safe as an empath, which is what the book's about. But then explore you know, it just makes life so exciting, doesn't it? Well, once once you have the skills to not be a sponge, like you said in the very beginning, to not be overwhelmed by your empathic abilities, then you can explore. Yeah, that's that's the value of this book, um, which which I think I think it really does uh, attempt to 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 provide that. Oh, well, it's actually just the way you said it, to provide that uh, survival guide to people who, who are empaths. I'm, I'm going to ask you a very quick, very simple question, and we're almost out of time. But you, you said a moment ago you were a Taoist. And one of the things that at my own wisdom schools that, that we do is we teach uh, uh, Qigong. And I'm wondering if you use physical exercise along with the other work you do, uh, Qigong, Tai Chi, you know, things that come from the Chinese Taoist tradition to to help deepen one's empathic abilities. Oh, yes, that's a beautiful question. Movement can deepen one's empathic abilities and tune one in to the body moving, being centered in the in the Dantian, um, in the 
the martial arts point of power and begin to do, I, I do what's called guided movements. It's not so much Qigong as it is letting the energy flow through my body and moving spontaneously and having emotional eruptions if, if they happen during that time to clear and release energy. So that's my particular path. Um, but I, I'm moving all the time and sensitive to the energy in my body moving. And I think that's an essential part of being an empath is to you know, get in touch with your body instead of hovering two inches above it like many empaths do because it's not safe to be in it. So movement can get you there. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, so let me ask you this. In, in your practice, uh, I, I don't want to give you the answers that I'm looking for. But in your practice, using movement, using meditation, at, at some point, does Judith disappear into, the, into that pure energy? Or, or is there always a sense of separate self? Um, I always feel my heart. You know, my heart's there. Um, I don't know if heart is self, but you know, the heart, I meditate every day and, you know, and I, I sit there and I kind of become one with it all. That, yes, that's what I'm asking. So that, that oneness is, do you, do you get a sense that the oneness is, well, I, I know you can't, you can't say this because it can't be right. I was going to say, do you think oneness is, is that sense of oneness is limited to empaths? But I, I don't think you're saying that at all. Not at all. The yeah, sense right. of oneness is hopefully what we can all strive for. And it's also not either or. It's not mutually exclusive. I can feel my heart and feel the oneness and be totally whole with that for moments. You know, so it's not like you lose yourself in identity. Only when I dream do I lose my ego. And I'm so, you know, the dream life is a dream empath is one type of empath, which I am. And so you lose your ego when you dream, which is so beautiful. It's such a liberating experience. So I think that's maybe I feel the most oneness in my dreams and, and in my meditations. All right. So that really makes me angry, Judith, because you brought up this great topic of the dream empath and <laughs> we are out of time. Uh-oh. So, they can get the book. And that's read. right. People are going to have to get the book. I hope they do. My guest today was Dr. Judith Orloff. She is the author of The Empath Survival Guide. Her essay on empaths appears in the March-April issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. And you can learn more about Dr. Orloff's work at drjudithorloff.com. So Judith, thank you so much for sharing your ideas and your experiences with us on Essential Conversations. Oh, you're welcome. It was a very stimulating conversation. Oh, thank you. Support for today's show comes from the Divine Intelligence Institute, committed to awakening the God within each of us. Rather than a person up in the sky, make God a presence inside of you that you can activate. Discover your spiritual IQ at divineintelligenceinstitute.com. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Please log into spiritualityhealth.com to subscribe to the magazine in print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Ezra Baker and our program coordinator and executive producer is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, 
I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.